0: Welcome to Screen Talk, IndieWire's weekly podcast. I'm Eric Cohn, the Deputy Editor and Chief Critic, joined as always by our editor-at-large, Ann Thompson, in Los Angeles. And we have a nice excuse to come back to the documentary category this year as awards season picks up steam because we have a new announcement about the inaugural Critics' Choice Documentary Awards, which is something that is actually being presented by a couple of organizations that have been around and have done... A Critics Choice Award ceremony in the past, but not specifically focused on documentaries. And you want to break it down a little bit for us.
1: Yeah, there's basically the Broadcast Film Critics Association and the Broadcast Television Journalists Association. They're part of the same thing. We've been doing the, and I'm a member. You're a member. Uh, others at IndieWire are, are members. It's more TV and online and. Um, And they basically have uh, a a big award ceremony that used to be in January. Now they're moving it up to December, and and they really want to kind of get ahead of the the fray. And we're going to be – but this documentary thing is for the first time. They've never done it before. So I was part of a a group that uh, worked on some of the categories uh, of documentary. So the one that's sort of interesting is Best Documentary Feature – And I thought we came out pretty well on this, uh, camera person, which is a movie I know you and I both like from Kirsten, uh, Johnson fire at sea, which is the Berlin, uh, winner uh, and the Italian Oscar, uh, submission. It's a documentary about uh, refugees on an Italian Island. And then Gleason, which we've talked about life animated, which was another hit at Sundance OJ made in America, which we've talked about 13th, the Ava DuVernay, tickled which which is a fun movie which i i caught up with recently tower which is that animated version of uh of a doc um wiener which we love and the witness and of this whole list i think the witness is the one i have not ha- seen have you seen that one
0: i still haven't seen the witness that's an interesting inclusion there which uh, I, I suppose is the sort of thing that could creep into conversations I've, I've heard that people like it quite a bit and so in that respect it's it's the sort of thing where if they're positioned in the right way, much in the way that uh, you know Finding Vivian Mayer was or something along those lines, maybe it could gain some traction beyond just this one awards. I mean, it's an HBO-supported documentary, so it seems like the sort of thing that, uh, you know, who knows at this point. I mean, we haven't seen it. The other one I haven't seen is Fire at Sea, which uh, I keep being told I need to see on a big screen to fully appreciate it.
1: I did not see it that way. I wish I had because it's it's a beautiful uh beautiful movie uh set on on Lampedusa and it kind of um compares and contrasts what a real ordinary supported life, you know, by a, it it shows this young boy living in this lovely Halcyon sort of Italian family environment and and then you have the horrors that are going on right outside on the water as the people at the edge of the island or are, are the sea uh, coast guard and so forth they're trying to deal with all these boats coming in and the horrific conditions of the people who are on those boats and it, you know what it i've been reading um Colson Whitehead's uh, Underground Railroad and and I've been seeing all these movies that are are showing you, know, you know, like Birth of a Nation, what what the slaves went through. It, it, it really does conjure up those horrible images of people dying in the holds of boats. It's pretty bad.
0: Well what's, it, what's I think notable, just hearing you reflect on that, is that we live in a period of time where when big historic, historical dramatic events uh, take place we have the ability to document them and process them in a much more immediate way. And and that could be something that would elevate a movie like Fire at Sea, which my understanding is that this is not a very traditional kind of talking heads documentary. Hardly,
1: no. No, it's very poetic and lyrical and beautiful and horrific at the same time. I'm
0: still, you know, excited that Wiener's getting awards traction. I think that it's cool to see that the committee work tower in there it's not a perfect movie but i think it's a very innovative I have to approach. say
1: i was not impressed with it at all but you know it's a, one of the you know, as opposed to something like waltz with with bashir the extraordinary uh, israeli uh, documentary that was a case where i thought that the animation elevated the documentary in this case if you just imagined that it was talking heads people who it didn't it didn't seem to to me to to make it into something more interesting than it really Actually, was I,
0: I disagree I think the the movie's flaw is is when it abandons that approach because it, it, there's a whole concluding segment that's live action that doesn't feel as engaging I thought that it did a good job of creating this sense that uh, this footage that is only kind of sort of there has a lot of gaps in it in terms of what happened with this this shooter from the top of a clock tower and all the people he took out and I think the animation is a smart way to kind of give it more of an immediacy much in the way that we're talking about this this other documentary it's giving immediacy the images that are there to, to be utilized but um, more people will have a chance to see that movie and we can we can debate it further I do like the scope of stuff that, that's in this category having something like 13th in there alongside Tickled which is completely ridiculous and, and very hard to synopsize. It's nice very hard to describe. Respect. I have to say, of yeah. all
1: the movies I've seen, this was the one that I was sort of unprepared for in terms of anything I had read about it. I was I, it, A lot of the materials I had seen were actually kind of misleading, because um, it's really about this sort of intrepid journalist who c- will not be dissuaded <laughs> from tracking down his quarry that's really what it's about
0: yeah I mean I have to say it's it's not the best documentary no. filmmaking I've seen this year no. it's just kind of a WTF sort of premise and, and exactly and, and that level it's just you watch it and, and it's just sort of baffling so is it one of the better documentaries I saw this year very far from it I mean Thirteenth isn't the best filmmaking, but there's more coherence, I think, to the way that it positions a certain argument, obviously, and, and things like that.
1: It should be noticed that Thirteenth is on the best documentary feature list, but not the best documentary director uh, list with the critics' choice, and I think there's a reason for that. <laughs> Cold by implication. But I will say that uh, uh, that Thirteenth, just in put to put my Oscar hat on, because basically what's happening... Is that there's such an enormous number? I think it's there's over 130 movies that the documentary Oscar branch is going to have to cull through, and when they all, and, and I talk to these people, I mean they make piles. You know, <laughs> they make they make yeah, piles, and they to have work. to decide what to watch. And OJ is going to be hurt by its length, um, you know, and Thirteenth is going to be seen by every single one of them, and in our current post-Oscars-so-white uh, universe, I, I am quite convinced that 13th will make the shortlist and has I mean, a good chance of getting to Ava the final DuVernay's five. DuVernay's
0: moment, right? I mean, she's had exactly. one before, but even even more so now with all this multitasking and, and you know, sort of the, the climate of, of the time and so forth. So that, that seems like a no-brainer. I am sort of curious, just to come back to camera person for a second, about what, what Odds that movie has of staying in the conversation. I mean, when I saw that at Sundance, it was presented in the New Frontiers section, which is a marginalized part of the festival for more kind of edgier filmmaking, not necessarily the sort of stuff that really breaks out, but it's a very innovative and sort of surprisingly entertaining and provocative movie in which. Kristen Johnson, who's this longtime documentary cinematographer,
1: for people pulls, like Laura Poitras and Michael yeah. Moore, and and she's worked on a lot of the best uh, documentaries of recent years, and she's this very impressive, tall, athletic, smart, um, you know, just a, one of those people that you 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 meet and you go, wow. You and know? she
0: she basically spent all the years of her career making this movie because she pulls from different bits and pieces of of outtakes from the films that she's made to create this kind of diaristic look at her experiences and it's filled with all kinds of compelling moments. Um, And I love that the first shot of the movie, you're just looking at this empty landscape and then somebody behind the camera sneezes and the the image shakes. And it, it was like such a great introduction to this world because it's all about how we're seeing the world through somebody else's eyes. And it builds to some really wonderful crescendos
1: what I loved about about how she made that movie and it kind of fell out of um she 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 basically was told that this person who was going to give her a crucial interview on this movie that she was shooting uh in Sarajevo basically had fallen out and she couldn't Have it, and and so she was trying to figure out a way to to salvage this all this work that she had done, and and so she sort of backed into this whole idea of taking this footage, which which of course she had to get permission for. and showing us the the original raw material with the soundtrack and the bumps and the moving around to get a better angle and ta- discussions with the filmmakers and filmmakers actually breaking down and in, in you know in, in tears and 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 you see what a role that cinematographer plays especially in documentary but also what she was interested in was showing the ethical dilemmas you know if this kid is about to get hit by a by an axe, or, or you know, and she's filming it. What is her responsibility? And she's carrying it. it reminded me a little bit of that, Vim Vender's um, portrait of the Brazilian photographer. Um, of course the title of which is eluding me, but it was Oscar nominated as well. Um, The, 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 the idea that, that the photographer, the the witness is carrying all this emotional baggage with them.
0: Yeah, Uh, that's, that's a good point. I think it's a, it's a movie that works the more that you watch it, because you start to see the connectivity between the images, even though they're coming from all these different places and times. Um, It's, it's something that I think people who have more experimental sensibilities will appreciate much faster by virtue of the description, but anybody watching it, I think, can get swept up in the different kinds of experiences that she's captured over the
1: years. But it's almost a memoir.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, she brings in personal footage of her mother who has Alzheimer's and that ends up giving it a certain kind of narrative uh, fluidity of sorts too, because it, all these different experiences she have she are, has are, are, are rooted also in and her children
1: are in it as well, yeah, and exactly. you, you see the the dimensions of this. So I i I'm, I'm going to argue that camera person by virtue of its. Revelatory. There's so much going on, and it's so unlike anything else anyone has ever seen that I think that it will move forward in a very strong way. I actually don't think of it as avant-garde or, or too demanding. It is demanding. It is very demanding. You because you go, you have to adjust to each different universe that she's presenting and there are many of them and some of them are very hard to take
0: yeah but i but i think that it's wh- what i was thinking about here when I mean, you mentioned the documentary branch i mean this is a as far as i can figure i mean you talk to these people more than i do but i've been to a lot of events and you get a sense for who some of the characters are. It's a very committed group of people. Very they're going to reward
1: this. Yeah, I
0: mean, also don't forget some of the influential members of the of the documentary. She's brand. worked for that's half
1: it. of them. Yeah. There it is. Michael Moore brought her to Traverse City. That's where I first met her. And and Laura Poitras, you know, she shot um, Citizen Four. I mean, so you know, you, you you I think she's an insider's insider, and they're also very likable. She's, you right. know, that that that's not irrelevant. I think they're going to root for her.
0: I think there's, and there's something kind of neat about the different possibilities we're talking about here, because 13th is a movie that puts forward a powerful argument, not the best filmmaking, but certainly something that people want to reward for the kind of uh, ideas that are driving it. Wiener is a movie that is very entertaining, has great access, is very well assembled. And then Camera Person is this incredibly innovative piece of cinema. So, you know, those three things represent the scope of possibilities that a category like this can deal with in ways that the rest of the Oscars generally don't and there are some real opportunities there for that category in some ways to reward what filmmaking is in 2016 in ways that other movies we've been talking about as this season gains momentum can't.
1: Yeah, no, it's an interesting thing and also to be considered is is that the branch is more serious and more demanding of of certain documentary standards and and they're very tough, for example, on reenactments and have been in the past. And so there's a difference between what makes the final nine and what makes the short list of and then finally to the nominations, then the whole Academy votes and that's a whole nother story. And that's when something more entertaining, you know, God forbid, uh, Ron Howard's Beatles eight days a week gets in there, right. you know, you could see that
0: it's ron howard so he, he makes the I round don't think that's going to happen
1: but i'm just saying it, it as an example of what could happen
0: that would suck let's just put that well, out I there. love that
1: movie i'm not i i But look at all the it. other cool
0: stuff we're talking about i mean it's like you won't you won't really a, a, great filmmaking no I
1: think I think that but we I I have to say just in terms of my own job just even though some of the material can be really heavy like I went to see uh I, I moderated a Q&A with the people uh behind the ivory game uh, Keith Davidson was the director and producer on that it was it was intense you know very disturbing that yeah, made the you know, doc NYC shortlist it didn't yeah. make, there's a, there's they, they make some distinctions here at the broadcast uh, group, and and they it's a, it's a little bit fluid where they have TV streaming. A lot of the Netflix stuff ends up in that category, like um, Audrey and Daisy, and and right. uh, so forth, and Amanda Knox.
0: I also did a Q and A Q&A with the Ivory Game Guys a few weeks ago in New York when Jade Goodall was there, which was completely unexpected and, and kind of surreal, cool. <laughs> out of nowhere. But you know, she was getting behind that movie, and, and certainly it was a supportive crowd. I mean, this, this is a Netflix-produced film that's uh, you know, basically about the way that China is sustaining the ivory trade through the black market and, and lots of revealing footage, hidden camera stuff. Um, and it's the sort of thing where, like Rurunga, which is a similar kind of eco-activist message uh, documentary, Netflix can really get behind this in a big way. Even if it's not sort of uh, the biggest crowd pleaser like some of the other films that we've been talking about here, so they could really do a, a heavy campaign, I and mean, they already have started a big campaign for this. So I thought it was interesting that that, that film was not uh, on the best documentary list for the Critics' Choice Awards, which I have to assume on some level there there may be some resistance to a movie that you know is not it, like Thirteenth. It's not the filmmaking per se that's uh, the best thing about it. But on the other hand it there's a tremendous amount of risk that that's depicted in this film Absolutely.
1: Like, and the film the two the two people the other guy Richard uh, um uh, Ladgani is is a superb uh, world renowned cinematographer, so right. a lot of what you get is about that is about him getting in there and getting these amazing shots. I actually thought it was I thought it was a really good movie, but it, does it break new ground in terms of the the kinds of filmmaking that it represents? No.
0: I just remember that last year there were two two slots that were sort of ambiguous for the documentary category in terms of who might get them and then they went to two documentary films what happened miss simone and um, winter on fire these were not the most beloved documentaries of the year but they were movies that Netflix they were both impressive
1: to- documentaries i actually had both of those I, I, we argued about this before. I had both of those on my final list of... But of, it wasn't... Just based on plot, the movies plot. themselves. and I did, I did not believe that Netflix was the turning aspect of that. I, I still don't believe that. They do support their movies. And maybe they're just making good movies.
0: They they are. In the, in the, they're in
1: dominating the, the documentary universe right now.
0: But you know, then again, they're not doing things that are taking the same sort of more surprising twists of a wiener or a camera person... Maybe Maybe it's because those movies don't want to do Netflix deals because the, the, the people behind them want to want to do more of a traditional theatrical release and things like that. But Netflix does seem like that, you know, they, they know how to get behind movies at this time.
1: Well, it goes out to like 190 countries around the world and, and of the ivory game people certainly as you as you. You talk to them. I mean, they—they're thrilled that this message is getting out. So for this kind of agitprop, urgent, let's try to save the elephants campaign. You know, Netflix is the perfect, the perfect answer. But we should move on. We should move on to our debating the uh, the opening movies. We let the fur fly last week. So yeah, let's, but there uh, are rare
0: situations, though. It, it's true, during, especially during this season when when you're so swept up with all this award stuff where there are a lot of new releases that we've both seen, so we can actually have a two-sided conversation about them. Birth of a Nation was a nice little overlap. This week we have a couple others, and probably the most uh, notable one for us to talk about uh, right now because it also just screened at New York Film Festival, and we both saw it way back at Sundance, is Kelly Reichert's new movie Certain Women, which is uh, this—it's uh, her, her latest film, her last, uh, She hasn't made a film in a couple of years, but Kelly Reichard doesn't make a lot of movies. She works at a very slow pace. She makes movies that, that reflect that kind of patience, things like Old Joy and Meek's Cutoff, Wendy and Lucy. And she uh, gets away with
1: it because she doesn't need to make money making movies because she exactly. has an, another just, career it's just, it's just, as yeah. an academic. So yeah. this is her second career. Exactly.
0: And, and, and I think what, what's kind of astonishing about her filmography is that there's a remarkable consistency to it in, in terms of the kind of America that she depicts. It's a very isolated world, usually uh, people who are looking for some kind, something that they can't quite find. In Certain Women, is this ensemble drama that sort of epitomizes that. It's, uh, it's based on a series of Maile Molloy short stories, and it's three different ones. Uh, about different women characters in rural America and and some of them are better
1: than others and some of them are more memorable than others and I barely remember this movie
0: well I found it to be incredibly effective I thought that the uh, the first segment in which Laura Dern plays this lawyer who has a disgruntled client, this working class guy who's not getting the compensation he thinks he deserves? And basically goes postal. Uh, has this kind of slow burn suspense that I hadn't seen uh, Reichardt really fully accomplish before. In her last movie, Night Moves had some suspenseful moments in it, but but this one was much more understated in a way that really helps establish the themes of the rest of the movie up front in in one of the more extreme moments because it actually has somebody kind of losing their mind. Uh, trying to find their place in a country that doesn't seem to have any room for for this person anymore and and then it moves on to deal with uh, this character played by michelle williams in a in a much less immediately dramatic scenario where she and her husband are trying to uh... Buy some materials from this man to build their house and they they've been in his yard for years and years and and he doesn't want to let go of them uh, but again it's 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 a very subtle piece of storytelling that's about the passage of time and how people sort of relate to the things around them and, and end up sort of not wanting their environment to change, even if they can't, uh, they can't uh, push back against it. And that all dovetails into this third story. Which is the with, best uh, one, which Kristen is the most Stewart.
1: memorable of the three. Yeah,
0: and Kristen it's the one sort of, I remember. Well, and, and maybe that was because, you know, the, the movie was building up to it. I mean, it's, it's a nice sort of climactic moment with Kristen Stewart playing uh, this... this uh, woman who is a, a young lawyer teaching adult education courses in a small town near a farm and Lily Gladstone, who's this great discovery in the film, is a farmhand who go, who becomes obsessed with her and, and probably is attracted to her. There's a lot of ambiguity there uh, and tries to kind of form a bond with her. And they, they end up going to this kind of grungy diner together and have some, some really remarkable moments where they kind of Bond over their mutual alienation it 's hard to synopsize what 's going on here.
1: Another lonely woman played by Kristen Stewart, and she 's yeah. good at it but uh, it's, it's, this it's movie doesn 't add up eric it, it, its it 's like each of these movies each, each of these segments is slim too to, to, too, thin to, to even sustain a section and, and you know they don't tie together they don't add up to anything and I think she she tried something ambitious that finally doesn't doesn't work and it fascinates me that you think this is such an accomplishment I don't understand I think five people will go to see this film including you
0: yeah, well, I, I can't wait to see it again. I mean, I think all three of them are super complimentary. I'm ab-
1: absolutely baffled let's... by this. All right, and by let, the way, let's... I have to say, I love her other movies. Wendy and Lucy, I thought was a terrific movie. And my favorite is Meek's Cut Off, the Western, which has so many ideas and so much brilliance. And and I, and I am a big fan of hers. So this was a disappointment to me. I think
0: part of the problem there is that you're looking for a certain kind of storytelling that this movie is not offering up. It's not... A clean Memorable might experience. be the operative
1: word. It, it's not a good sign that I don't remember the movie.
0: None of her movies are really focused on a specific... Narrative trajectory. If you get that from something like Wendy and Lucy, or even Night Moves, you it's do. almost like a it's a Trojan horse. And Night Moves so is a, a
1: perfectly okay movie too. These are both they're they're all reasonable narratives with characters who move from one place to another. They they are accessible movies. Uh, but
0: ac- accessibility is not the only barometer for quality in, in the kinds of movies that we're talking about here. I mean, the, in, if, if a movie is difficult, if, it, if it's harder to kind of access that world, then that, that struggle can sometimes yield great results. In the case of certain women, I think that it's almost too textured for a single viewing to even take in the kind of world that she's building up here. Now, I'm not telling you that it's my favorite of her movies. I, I, I think maybe something like Meek's Cutoff off is, is a, a bigger... I think that's probably
1: her most successful film to date, absolutely. And I was willing to go through long interminable shots and very long... I mean, it is not about pacing. It is not about excitement. I am not... You know, there. this is not about me being, you know, wedded to Hollywood convention. I mean, I, if, if, if Jim Jarmusch delivers a movie that's that's quiet and lyrical and full of ideas like like Patterson, I'm willing to go along with it. If he delivers a movie that's pretentious and silly and stupid, uh, I'm not going to go with it. You know, yep, it's, that, it's a question this, of whether it really plays for me.
0: I mean, are you, uh, th- you can't possibly consider this movie pretentious. No, I'm not saying say-
1: that about this movie. I'm saying that there are many ways to, to judge a film and I am perfectly willing to go to difficult and inaccessible places as long as I'm rewarded.
0: I think that the thing that's rewarding about certain women is not any specific moment, but the movie's sort of environment as a whole. I think that if you actually are looking at what the actors are doing in this movie, the way in which each individual moment kind of speaks to the one preceding it in very subtle ways, it's a very complex piece of storytelling and one that doesn't necessarily need to be appreciated in the immediate sense. I mean, a great painting doesn't need to be sort of appreciated the first time you look at it. I mean, there are different ways of seeing art. I think that this piece of art needs to be sort of absorbed in a different sort of way, and that's the essence of Kelly Reichardt's filmmaking. And, and it's also, in, in spite of the fact that there is a practical reason for her to support her career with, with some other kind of income, uh, I think it's also the reason why it's been difficult for Kelly Reichardt to receive the kind of attention that, that she deserves as a major American filmmaker, because these are not movies that are easy to appreciate on, on the surface. And And I worry that something like Certain Women, it's... Is not getting that attention for some of the, the reasons that uh, you're listing here.
1: I'm also going to suggest to you that anthology films are always challenging. You know, they're they're risky. They they just are. It's very I, it's it's hard to come up with too many of them that succeed finally.
0: That, that is true, unless you're doing some wacky horror movie like the VHS series or something like that in which uh, expectations are low and you just have to rise above them. So, so
1: let's move on.
0: We've got Christine to talk about. The, the one of two movies that was at Sundance this year dealing with the uh, on, on-air suicide of Christine Chubbuck, the Florida news anchor. Uh, supposedly there's a tape of this locked up in a vault somewhere. And, and Quits- there's
1: a documentary about it as yes. well.
0: Kate plays Christine, which is Robert Greene's documentary with Caitlin Scheel. is a more experimental film that uh, premiered in the Sundance uh, Documentary Competition this year and actually won the, the Writing Award, which was kind of funny. Um, and then Christine has Rebecca Hall playing the character. In some ways, a more conventional film. In other ways, it's Antonio Campos, who made After School... And uh, Simon Killer, and, and you know it's it's got a, a certain cerebral edge to it as well. But Rebecca Hall is the reason to see this movie. She I gives mean, an
1: amazing performance, um, and and I I highly recommend uh, people see the film just for her performance. But the film itself leaves much to be desired.
0: I've I've liked Campos's work for a long time. I, I, this is probably my least favorite in certain kinds of ways because I I don't think that um,
1: it. So it's ugly, goes. for one thing.
0: Yeah, and also it just it feels a, a little under-realized. In spite of Rebecca Hall really portraying this manic character and to the best of her ability, I don't think it fully gets inside her head to the point where you can fully buy what happens. That I agree. Same thing that happens at the end of the movie, which we know from the true stories coming the whole time. So it's unfortunate because I, it would be nice to see this movie, or at least, Rebecca Hall's performance get talked about a little bit more, but I think people should really see Kate plays Christine, which is a much more uh, inventive approach in a lot of ways.
1: And I know that they're pushing the, the movie for for awards, and I, I would like to hope that, that the Indie Spirits and the Gothams will, will give Rebecca Hall her due, but I find it hard to imagine that it will go much farther uh, than that. Um,
0: it's got more chances than The Accountant, let's, let's put it that way. Well, The way.
1: Accountant is not an Oscar movie. The Accountant, you know, what interests me is why was I, in spite of all the reviews that already broke, including our, our own IndieWire one, you know, why was I driven to actually go see this movie? Well, you I know? mean, and I, I, was. I, I was, I went to see remember. it last night.
0: I live with an accountant who cannot wait to see this thing. I mean, how often do you hear about the premise of a movie being the star of the show is the bookkeeper and he's played by one of the biggest movie stars, you know? But the question
1: is, why Ben Affleck? Uh, wanted to to star in this movie, and I actually understand it. I think he saw a character that hadn't been played before that he knew how to play, and I will argue that he gave a good performance. There have been and some things on Twitter neat. that you know where people are saying that he just sold out and he took a paycheck and all out. that. I don't think that's what's going on here.
0: Totally, I, I believe you that he he was trying to do something. I don't think he delivers. I don't think the movie delivers. It's like. The accountant has Asperger's syndrome and that's his kind of his superpower. It makes him into this. It like.
1: Is, that is the premise of the movie. That's, that's exactly right. So
0: ridiculous in a way that I, it feels very 90s. I, l-
1: I actually thought that the movie, the first half of it was actually quite engrossing and delightful. And I enjoyed the interplay between him and, and uh, Anna Kendrick. Uh, the second half, totally down the tubes. They chickened out and went you know action and and the dead mom the the various twists and turns are not that good
0: it's just not a movie that delivers in in, in, a respect and it's not even something like say the counselor from a couple years ago where you could have this kind of like cult following and some people making a passion case That was a it.
1: terrible movie. That was a worse movie. But
0: but but I, I love the arguments in its favor because it, it was also a crazy movie. There was some weird stuff in that movie and this movie just that, never reaches for that. Here's you the know, thing I, about
1: this. This is Gavin O'Connor and Gavin O'Connor who did Warrior which is one of my favorite movies of recent vintage where Tom Hardy and, and um, Joel Edgerton are just amazing. He's very good with actors actually. He's actually a good shooter. He's a good director. So what you have here is It's one of those situations where uh, a basically indefinite filmmaker is trying to make a studio movie, and the studio is winning out. That's my that's my assessment of what happened here. There's an interesting movie. There's a better movie buried inside this movie that got pushed aside in favor of standard issue studio protocols. The reason I went to see the movie was that the trailer had piqued my interest, and I like Ben Affleck as an actor. I, he is someone I like and I want to see on screen, and that's why I went.
0: Speaking of of weird studio risks, next week we'll have a chance to uh, take a look at the reactions to Ang Lee's movie, Billy Lynn's Long Halftime Walk, which is uh, premiering at New York Film Festival. And I'm very frustrated
1: because we have an enormous New York team at IndieWire, as run by you, and uh, they will be covering everything to do with the New York Film Festival, and I... Got to see some of the films that are premiering there here, but that one isn't showing here until October 26th. You'll read the tweets and... Uh, anyway that that it had to do with him finding a room that shows uh, his format he's not going to let people see it any other way for now even though when it opens I mean there aren't enough theaters in the country to show what he does in the fast frame format
0: what, whatever the the reasons we'll see if it's if it was worth it and next week we'll, we'll regroup and I'll, and I'll let you know in the meantime I'm going to head off to New York Film Festival there's still all kinds of different dinners and parties going torture on
1: torture me please
0: hard life I know So take care and
1: bye.